0: Friends, if you have your Bibles with you, please open with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to continue our study today. This is chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. This is a sermon I've entitled, Glory and Joy. If you're able, I invite you to stand with me. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. Hear now the written word of the living God. For you are our glory and joy. Pray with me once again. Lord, this is your word. It's not Paul's best efforts on paper. It is the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. And Father, we pray that your word would go forth and not return void in our hearts and minds today. And we know that you promised it would never return void. Open our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive it. Prepare good soil, Father, in our hearts. Remove any hard or rocky or thorny hearts, soils that, is in, that are in our lives, and make good soil, Father, that we might receive it and produce fruit, 30, 60, even 100-fold. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Well, friends, last week, if you recall, we opened the sermon by talking about stories and even storytellers. We remember that it was the Lord Jesus Christ who was the master storyteller, and we started reviewing many of the stories that he told. We recalled the story, uh, some of the parables he talked about last week. You know, we we talked about his story, The Lost Sheep. The Good Samaritan, we even went into great detail about that one specific story, the sower and the seed. And we found that Jesus throughout all the Gospels used parables, used stories to teach us. And these stories had so many pictures and and images, and they were just a very useful tool that Jesus used to teach his people. Well, friends, in much the same way, the Apostle Paul also gives us pictures and images to ponder. But instead of using stories to do that, he uses comparisons. He uses vivid word pictures. Let's talk about some of the ways in the Bible Paul uses word pictures or comparisons when he teaches. Think about Philippians chapter 2. And for those who like sports, Paul used sports analogies all the time. In fact, in Philippians 2, he uses a sports image when he compares the Christian life to running. And many times in Scripture, he uses boxing. um, He uses uh, wrestling. Uh, There's many sports images by Paul. In Ephesians, He uses the word picture of a soldier. It's a a military comparison when he talks about Christians putting on the armor of God. In this book, 1 Thessalonians, you and I, we have already seen many images, many word pictures, many comparisons that Paul has used to teach. We looked a few weeks ago in chapter 2. Did you know in chapter 2, Verse 7, he says that Paul um, feels like a nursing mother. A nursing mother that he has so much care for his congregation that he feels like a nursing mother and the congregation is, of course, his child. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says he feels like a father. A father who exhorts and encourages and edifies his children. That's the word picture he gives pastoring this congregation at Thessalonica. Well, friends, today, right here in verse 17, Paul gives us another comparison. He gives us another word picture to teach us the Word of God. And today, you'll see it in the text, it's the words torn away, torn away. Now, before we get to that word picture, let me just say that this sermon has three simple points. We're going to talk about Paul's love, Paul's enemy, and Paul's anticipation. But let's begin talking about Paul's love for this congregation by looking at this image, this word picture, this comparison. It's found in verse 17. Let's reread 17 in the beginning of 18. Paul says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. So friends, let's do this. Let's kind of walk through these verses phrase by phrase, and see what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians. But the first thing he says is this word picture, this comparison. You see it in the phrase, torn away. But since we were torn away from you. Torn away, think about that. What What do you think about when you think torn away? Maybe... Maybe you think of maybe two pieces of Velcro that are stuck together, really tight, and you 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 tear them apart, and you, and you hear that ripping sound, and it's a it's a picture of being torn away. Maybe you kids or teenagers have you ever had a band aid stick on, you know, really tight, and and mom and dad are trying to to pull it off, and it feels like they're just tearing your skin off when they do it, and it hurts. Hey, I got a good story about this, because I'm telling you, kids actually, you know, for some men, even when they get older, they still have that feeling because I'm one of those men. Do y'all remember about a year and a half ago when I had all those shoulder surgeries? So when I had my second shoulder surgery, uh, they over here, they put this big Band-Aid on top of it, I'm here on my right arm, and uh, I remember I had it on for, for about a week, and I had to go to, go to the doctor, and he was going to take the bandage off and, uh, and you know uh, help uh, get that, get that uh, cut healed. And I remember the first experience wasn't so bad. It, it, was, it wasn't bad, for, but for some reason, I, I guess the, the doctor or the nurse, whoever was taking it off, wasn't as nice as the one I had the first time. Because I want you to know, when that doctor uh, pulled off this Band-Aid from my arm, it felt like my flesh was being torn away. It hurt, and it hurt. And let me tell you, I kind of screamed. I kind of let out a scream. This hurt. And I'm telling you, Deirdre was sitting right there the whole time watching this. And you know what she did? She laughed. And I bet you would too. But here I am. Screaming because the Band-Aid is being torn away. Physically, it hurt. And I think all of us kind of know what that feeling feels like. Well, friends, think about that picture as Paul says, torn away. But you got to think more than that. Because for me and my Band-Aid, it was just a physical tearing away. When you study the word picture behind this verb in Greek, it's much more than physical. In fact, in the Bible, this is the only time this word is used in the Bible, and I want you to know the word picture behind torn away actually is a family word, and it means to be orphaned. It means the tearing away of a mom or dad From his or her child. Obviously when parents are torn away from kids. That hurts. It's not just physical like my shoulder. It's emotional. It's mental. Friends do you see the powerful word picture here? Paul is saying. That he feels the pain. Of a nursing mother or a father. Who has been torn away from his or her child, much more than a Band-Aid, this really emotionally, mentally hurts. And I want you to see with this expression, with Paul's thoughtfulness towards the Thessalonians, how he is loving them with his thoughts, his feelings, his emotions of being torn away. But secondly, see how he loves them. Look, look at the verse. The verse continues. Paul says, We were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time. In person, not in heart. In person, not in heart. Paul is saying to them, Even though I'm not physically near you, I miss you. I'm thinking about you. My heart is with you. John MacArthur said it this way, even though the Thessalonians were out of sight, they weren't out of mind. Does that sound familiar for a world struggling with coronavirus and a pandemic? How many people have been out of our sights over the last 12, 14 weeks? but they're certainly not out of our minds. And that's what Paul was saying in this context. You're out of sight, but you're not out of mind. He was showing the words of his love. Thirdly, let's look at the next phrase. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. Paul is saying, even though I couldn't be physically with you, I desired, I tried, I endeavored, I was so eager in my heart to see you face to face. In fact, Paul says, it was so much that way, I got up from where I was and I tried to come to you. Satan hindered me, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but I did everything I could with my actions to come see you because I love you. And in this we see the action of Paul's love. But finally, we also see the prayers of Paul's love. It's not in this specific text, but you remember chapter 1, verse 2, Paul said, I'm praying for you all the time, daily. I'm praying for you Thessalonians, that even though I am not with you physically, you are in my prayers. So friends, let's let's kind of step back and review something. Ask this question. How was Paul loving the Thessalonians? With his thoughts. With his words. With his actions. And with his prayers. Do you see that? Pastor Paul is loving his congregation. With his thoughts, words, actions, and prayers. In fact... The text Daryl read a moment ago, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. 28, it says this, There is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Listen, Paul absolutely believed in the sovereignty of God. But as a pastor, he never let his belief in the sovereignty of God make him cold toward other people. It didn't make him unemotional towards other people. No, not at all. He felt their needs in a very deep and meaningful way. Listen, just because we know that God is sovereign, that doesn't take away our emotion and our feelings towards one another, brothers and sisters. So as we step back now, we can ask this question. How is Paul teaching us to love each other in this text? Well, friends, I think it's very easily, easy to see. He's teaching you and me to love each other with our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our prayers. Very quickly, with our thoughts. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, Look out for the interest of others. That means in our thoughts, in our spare time, even in a scheduled time, every single day, let's not only think about ourselves, let's think about other people and what they need. That's what Paul was doing with his thoughts. With their words. Do what Paul does. Use expressive, vivid word pictures to describe the way you feel towards others. The Bible says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. That's what Proverbs says. How can you speak words of love into someone else's life? People need encouragement. We said at the beginning of this book, this is a book all about encouragement. He is pouring out encouragement and edification with his words to these Thessalonians. Friends, how can we do the same to our brothers and sisters? Thirdly, I encourage you to strive to love others with your actions. Paul did everything he could. He got up, he tried to go back to Thessalonica. Satan hindered him. Again, we're going to talk about that in a minute. But he tried with his actions. What should our actions look like? You know, 1 1 Corinthians 13, the actions of love. Let's review them. Love is patient and kind. Those are great actions. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Friends, ponder that to see how love is in action from your life towards others. And then finally, pray, pray, pray. To love someone well would mean that we need to pray for them Paul said to the Thessalonians I pray for you daily make that list pray for others just as we've been taught in the bible and friends I want you to know I am so encouraged by this church our congregation here because I know that so many of you have been doing so many of these things Not only for years, but more specifically in the pandemic we've been going through. You've been sending encouraging words. I've received many of them. I've watched you with your actions go out and love other people. Friends, even our session this week encouraged us to love our brothers uh, and sisters of color. When they asked us all to listen, lament, learn, labor, and love with our brothers and sisters of color. We've been asked to pray, and we have the opportunity to do that tonight at 7 o'clock. So once again, I encourage you, join us for that. But in this last point, I want to talk specifically to our elders. And when I say elders, I'm included in that. I'm a teaching elder, Daryl's a teaching elder, and we have a plurality of ruling elders in the congregation. Because... We would be in error if we did not understand that Paul is speaking as a pastor to his congregation. He's talking to the leadership in the congregation. So dear elders, let's remember that statement Paul made in 2 Corinthians 11:28. He says that as spiritual leaders, we need to feel the needs of our congregation. In a very special way. Now, look, I clearly understand. I am the pastor of a Reformed Presbyterian church, and I just use the word feel from the pulpit. Do you know why? Because it's in the Bible. Yes, as Reformed Presbyterian elders and leaders, we're going to believe in the sovereignty of God. But that never means we should be cold. It never means we should be unemotional. Because Paul wasn't cold. Paul wasn't unemotional. He was feeling with his congregation. He felt the heart and the mind of a nursing mother, of a father. He felt the tearing away. And friends, to our elders, there are times in ministry when it's going to hurt. To call, being called to be a shepherd, an under-shepherd in God's flock, you got to understand there's going to be some hurt and some pain in that position. But I want you to know the Lord is good and He will walk with us through that situation. And I want this entire congregation to know that I'm not saying this to our elders and deacons because they're not doing it. I am so thankful for our, for our elders, or under-shepherds here at Redeemer because we have a group of men who do feel the pain of things with their congregation. We have shepherds, and I'm so grateful for that. I say it more as an encouragement to keep on keeping on, keep on feeling the pain, the hurt, the tearing away with your congregation. Well, friends, let's move on to our second point this morning, and that is simply Paul's enemy. Let's reread verse 18. The Bible says, Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Friends, the Bible says that believers, we have an enemy, Satan, the devil, and God in his sovereignty, God actually allows Satan to oppose the endeavors of men and women who are faithful to Jesus Christ. We have so many biblical examples of this. Let's ponder some of these Think about Job. Satan attacked a strong spiritual leader in Job. In Acts chapter 5, Satan attacked the church by persuading Ananias to lie to the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that Satan blinded the minds of many to the gospel. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter calls him a lion seeking whom he may devour. In Ephesians chapter 6, he seeks to deceive and scheme and throw fiery darts at believers. Satan even did this to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan tried to scheme against Jesus Christ by tempting Him three times. As we learned last week, if servant is not greater than his master, if Jesus is going to tempt, or excuse me, if Satan is going to tempt Jesus, Satan will certainly tempt you. You know, the picture we're talking about here, it's like an army who wants to to disrupt the opposing army. You know, we've all maybe seen a military movie where one army is advancing towards another and this army kind of thought ahead and maybe plotted a scheme against this army. Maybe they dug a pit that they would fall in. Maybe they put up some obstacle that would hinder them. You've all seen this in the movies before. Friends, when the Bible says that Satan hindered the Apostle Paul, the word picture behind that phrase is a military word picture. It means to dig a trench, to break up a road, as John MacArthur says, to set up up an obstacle. So once again, we have another word picture, right? A vivid comparison by Paul to teach us the Word of God. And in this text, Paul is saying that Satan's doing something. He's hindering Paul. He's putting an obstacle in his way. Paul's trying to go to Thessalonica, but he's hindered. There's a ditch that he fell into. He tried and tried and tried. And friends, I want you to know that Satan, just like he was with Paul, he's still active today. And he will do everything he can to put an obstacle in your way, a ditch in your path. He will try to break up your road. Now, as we consider who Satan is, let's talk about who he's not. He's not God. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. And Satan can do nothing outside of God's providence. You know, the example of Job teaches us that. And he is going to try to break up your road. But when he does, when Satan puts an obstacle in your way, I want you to know that the Bible teaches us that God has provided a better way out for you. His plan is greater than your plan. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. In his heart, a man plans his course. But thank God that the Lord determines his steps. Hear that. This is Proverbs. In his heart. A man will plan his course, just like Paul did, but the Lord uh, determines his steps. Here's what William Hendrickson says about this. Even when the devil tries to chop up the road, God's hidden plan is never, ever wrecked. Satan may cut in on us, preventing us from doing what seems best to us, but God's ways are always better than our ways. And friends, I want you to know the longer I live the Christian life, the more I know the truth of that statement. And I'm sure every one of you have a story about that statement. Sometimes those those times when God teaches us that those aren't easy lessons to learn in life. But in your heart, though you might plan your course one way and God determines your steps a different way, God is always looking out for you. He's always doing what is in your best interest. And He's got a a much better plan if you do it His way than your way. Well, let's now look at our third and final point today. Paul's anticipation. Look back at the text, verses 19 and 20. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you... Are our glory and joy. You know, the second coming of Jesus, it's one of the most prominent themes in the book of First Thessalonians. In fact, in chapter four, Paul's going to go into great detail about it and have more word pictures for us. So get ready, more's coming. So, what this is saying here is that these three missionaries, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they are anticipating the return of Jesus. But as they do this, as pastors of this congregation, they do it with gladness. They do it with thanksgiving. Why? Because they know that God has been at work in their congregation. They're speaking as pastors. They are so thankful for what God is doing with their congregation. And because, think, or think about it this way. What had just happened in Thessalonica? Something very special just happened. You see, these Thessalonians, they were living in a land where there was pagan worship, there was idol worship. When the missionaries came, we reviewed the story, Acts 17, they were only there for three weeks, and the Jews put the whole town in a riot. Very difficult things were going on in Thessalonica, but in the midst of that, what happened? In the midst of that, God reached down and saved their souls. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of idol worship, God saved their souls. And not only did He do that, but He chose to put in their hearts a work of faith, a labor of love, a steadfastness in hope in Jesus Christ and Paul, as their pastor was so in love with this congregation, he described them. And I, I want you to see mm, I, I, I want you to see the emotion and the connection behind this statement. Don't overlook the last verse of this chapter. I want you to see how Paul felt about his congregation. Listen to this. He said to his congregation, For you are our glory and joy. For you, the congregation, you, for us missionaries, are our glory and joy. Now let's think about that phrase for just a moment. Because on the surface, you might say, What? What is Paul doing here? Is he boasting about man instead of God? Well, friends, he's not. He's certainly not. He would never do that. Here's what this means. It means that Paul is so thankful for God's work in the heart of his congregation. He knew that God was the one who brought forth the increase In these Thessalonians, and I'll quote Dr. Kara here, Paul knew that any boasting about the Thessalonians' good works is really boasting about God's work because he did it in these people. Does that make sense? And when Jesus returns for Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these Thessalonians, they would be a picture of joy for Paul And all the glory would belong to God who did the work in their hearts. Well, friends, as we conclude this morning, what are some takeaways that I hope each of us can have from this text? There's three I want to give you. Today, take with you. Be encouraged, dear friends, to love others with your thoughts, words, actions and prayers think of others often and when you do get a chance to talk to them speak words of encouragement into their life listen anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word from you will make him glad and let your love act given the actions of 1 corinthians 13 review the verbs in that text and pray 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 and join us tonight at 7 o'clock, or we're going to continue to pray. Number two, take away the awareness, friends, that you and I have an enemy, just like Paul did. And Satan will hinder you. He will put up a roadblock in your life. He will break up your road, putting obstacles in your way. But remember, when that happens, not only does God know about it, He's the one that allowed it to happen, just as He did with Job. And in those times, I want you to remember that God's ways, they're better than our ways. Remember that in a heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines him steps, his steps. And by the way, as John says, greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. And then... For Uh, Third and finally, I want you to anticipate the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ just as Paul, Silas, and Timothy did. And I want to tell you one thing for this pastor right here. As I anticipate Jesus coming back, I want you to know that I think about you, this congregation. I think about what God is doing here at Redeemer, how He is working in your hearts how he has given you a work of faith, a labor of love, an endurance of steadfastness in Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that I can say along with the Apostle Paul, you, friends, are my glory and joy. Because I want you to know, this pastor wants you to know, I am so thankful for God's work in your life and how you bear fruit of his goodness and grace in your life. And I want you to thank you. I want to thank you, dear friends, for loving me as your pastor, for embracing my family. That means the world to us. And as we move forward here, right here in Indian Trail, I want to encourage every single one of us to fix our eyes upon the one who is going to return one day, the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I am so thankful, we are so thankful this day for your work in our hearts and our lives. We are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross on our behalf. We are thankful that you have called us to faith and that you are working out um, 30, 60, some 100-fold in many folks' lives here today. God, I pray that we would continue Um, to love as you've called us to love, to recognize our enemy and to anticipate your second coming. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.